You know, I just want to encourage this, this crew with, with something. Sometimes people say, how do you do three services? One at a time. Just do one at a time. But the worship just gets better. You guys sing loud. God loves that, making a joyful noise, singing his praises loud. I just love it. Blesses my heart. It's easy to preach after that. So uh, you are a blessing. I love to worship with you. Want each family to have one of these cards. Doesn't mean you have to give anything. We just want you to pray, okay? So, uh, so if you're a college student, you're here by yourself, you're a family, okay? You're a family unit. Take one. Take it home and pray about it. And that's the way we do things here. We're going to see a film in a minute. Uh, Gretchen and Jason just sharing their heart about what God is doing and calling them to Scotland. But we're going to support them for three years. That's because that's how long the visa is. We'll see what happens after three. But it's for three years. And so if you can only do it for a year, that's great. If you can only do a one-time gift, I don't know what the undecided is there. That's kind of a noun announcement, but we know if you don't fill it out, you're not decided. So anyway, that's there too. If you want to mark it and say undecided, you can mark that and pray about your heart. Um, but uh, you can do two things. You can either bring this back and put in the offering filled out. See, because they need to know we're not just saying, oh yeah, it's there, no problem about it. The government that's offering the visa from Scotland needs to know that our people that have promised to support them. And if you don't support them after you promise to support them, well, they're going to be often to eat old hardtack and used haggis. So you don't want the kids eating that. So uh, you need to, if you sign up, you need to be faithful, all right? But you pray about it. God doesn't tell you anything, they don't do anything. But you can do two things. You can either bring them back, put in the offering plate, give it to Don, we'll write it down, or you can keep this on your fridge to pray for them and then just go to our website and you'll find your way around there, Jason and Gretchen, and promise on there. There's the same form you can fill out on our website online. Maybe you want to go directly to 20 schemes that do it there. The only thing is if you do it there, they'll know, but we won't know uh, what our portion is. So anyway... Any way you want to do it, several ways. You can go to 20 Schemes, you can go to our website, or you can fill this out, hard copy, and give it to Don or put in the offering plate. So, here is the film. My name is Jason Nelson. Uh, I've been serving as the youth pastor and worship leader and director of Snowy Mountain Lodge uh, here at Laramie Valley Chapel in Laramie, Wyoming for the past five years. A couple years ago, God began to kind of impress upon our hearts. What if we should go? What about Scotland? So I was in Scotland 15 years ago, um, short term with the International Mission Board. For years, I always wondered why I spent my time there and why God had me go there and what the purpose was for all of that. The one relationship that we did, that I did find or form, was with the pastor there, um, Pastor Colin Buchanan. So after we were praying about Scotland for a while, we decided to try to contact um, Pastor Buchanan, which we did, and immediately we felt a connection. They had actually been praying for somebody like us. So we decided to pursue this opportunity, and we did. Went over and visited the church. Uh, we felt a strong connection. We came home, decided we sold everything, and we were waiting just for a visa to go, and then God slammed the door closed um, back in September. I think when God 
kind of tore everything away, if you will. When we were left, we'd, we'd sold everything and we're left really just looking to God, asking the question, what now? I feel like it confirmed that God has been preparing our family for this, preparing our family for hard times, tumultuous times, to walk by faith, not by sight. And, and it's displayed in our children's response and our response to the Dumbarton detour, I think. We just didn't feel like the story was over and we continued to pray um, because we still had a heart and a desire to go to Scotland and for the people of Scotland. Our good friend, Colin Buchanan, he gave us one name of, a, of the executive director of 20 Schemes and we decided, okay, we're not gonna just take any opportunity we can grasp at to get there, but let's follow this through. February, we flew over and we candidated with 20 schemes. We spent a week with them. And so in Scotland, they call them schemes. So it's a, a, a low-income, um, government-assisted housing area. So typically, you get a lot of poor communities, deprived areas. Um, some of them are wrought with crime, drug addiction, and things like that. And so this, this organization has planted churches in these areas, and they have a main plant in Nidri, uh, where, they, where the organization is based out of. And then from there, they train leaders to then go and plant churches and other schemes in Scotland. Reflecting on that week was, is really, it was a very eye-opening experience in a lot of ways for us, I think. To not only see their heart to share the gospel, their discipleship, their community. That's one of the things that drew us to this work because it was a local church ministry. We, we got a sense that they were the same type of DNA that we come from here at our church in Laramie Valley Chapel. And being part of this church too has really, I think, it's just the DNA of our church to raise up leaders, disciple them, and send them out. 20 Schemes was an absolute, that's why it felt so right to us because it's the same DNA we come from. Came home from our week and we, we prayed, we, we talked to some of our elders and those that we've served alongside with over the past um, five or more years and confirmed the call in our hearts that yeah, this is where God is leading. Once we go in and the church is established, the, the, the whole ethos of 20 Schemes is to raise up indigenous people from the area to either pastor or be leaders in that church. The beauty of planting a church in these areas is you get a healthy gospel preaching church right there in these people's backyard, and you have people that have grown up in that area that are leading the churches or pastoring the churches. The problem in the schemes and everywhere is, is a spiritual problem. They need the gospel. They need to understand that they're sinners before God and that God is holy. And you share Christ and give them an opportunity to respond. Well, now we've, we've officially accepted the call to go. And so now we're in the process of, because this, this of where we're planning churches in Scotland and poor areas. This is considered a missionary endeavor. It's becoming harder and harder for internationals to get into some of these countries and Scotland being one of them. Our, our prayer is that we are there by August of this year to begin our training, which means we have kind of an accelerated pace to get to Scotland, but we feel like the Lord's really opened the door and we want to walk through it as quickly as we can. It's extending that opportunity for people, for for individuals, for churches to be part of the Great Commission in Scotland. Not only in Scotland, but in the poor communities of Scotland.
We're praying for people to partner with us to catch the vision of 20 Schemes and what they're doing to plant churches in these poor areas. And, and by partnering with us, we also mean financial support to help enable us to, to build a team together and to go and to plant a church somewhere in the Schemes of Scotland. morning I want to preach from Romans chapter 12, finding God's will for your life. In the coming weeks I want to talk about how do we discover God's will as a church and the directions we go, whether it's supporting missionaries, who do we support, who do we not support, how do we be an encouragement. But this morning, how do you find God's will? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. I pray that you give us understanding Lord, stir us up to obedience that we're not just hearers, but obedient to your word, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. If you ask a child or a young person that grew up in church, what are you going to do with your life? Well, I just want to do God's will. That's great. That's a great statement, but what does it mean? And you come to that place, some of you are college seniors. You're coming to the place you're going to graduate. Now what? Commencement means begin. It doesn't mean end, right? Commence. In the old days, when we went to fire weapons, they say, commence firing. It means to begin. And so you think, well, what am I going to do? Where am I going to work? What person am I going to marry, right? Where do I go? What's my calling? What is God's will? How do I find that out? Well, it's laid out here in the Word of God. How can we find God's will? How do we know we're in the middle of God's will. And that's so important. God wants his children to be confident in their salvation. He also also wants you to be confident that you're doing exactly what he called you to do. Here in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, first of all, we need to be available for God's purpose. Are you really available? Are you kind of like, well, I've got my well figured out. Uh, Christianity is a thing I do on Sunday. gives me some flavor. I go to a Bible study once in a while. I got it. I got it figured. Lord, you just make it prosper, leave me alone. I don't want to be too, have too much pain or trial, so we just figure that out. But that's not the way of joy. It's not the way of reward. God has a plan for every believer, but it starts with us being available, and it begins with salvation. Paul comes after 11 chapters of laying out the doctrine of salvation. How can we be saved? How can we know we're saved? How do we come to Christ and he comes to chapter 12, and he kind of gives an invitation. He begins, now what do you do with the information that you have? And he says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God. This is your spiritual service of worship. It starts with availability. You see, if you thought, you just asked Jesus in your heart. I talked to a lady recently. And she said, well, my, my son knows, uh, he says he's not a believer, but I know he's a believer because I remember when he asked Jesus in his heart. Well, an adult knows what he believes and doesn't believe. And we're not the judge there, but this idea that you just ask Jesus in your heart and then go do whatever you want. Or the idea in modern uh, church, some churches you hear today, you know, add, add Jesus to your life and now you're going to have the best life ever. Well, that's true, except for it also includes some trials and some suffering, some other things that... In the prosperity gospel, they don't talk about. Our best life is finding the will of God. And not just something that's generically the will of God, but the perfect will of God. 
It says in Romans chapter 12 that we present our bodies a living sacrifice. What was Jesus' invitation to salvation? What was that? He said, just ask me in your heart and then do what you want. No. He said, if any man would come after me, let him what? Deny himself. Take up your cross and follow me. Where was Jesus going as he carried his cross? He was going to the place of sacrifice. He said in Matthew 16, 24, if any man will save his life, he's going to lose it. But if any man will lose his life for my sake and the gospel, he will find it. And then he goes on to kind of give that uh, business equation. You know, if a man gained the whole world and lost his soul, is that a good business decision? So for 70, average of 70 years or so, 80, you get to do whatever you want, but you lose your soul and spend eternity separated from God, you think that's a good deal? No, that's not a good deal. And if a man came to the end of his life and realized that he was lost, what would he give in exchange for his eternal soul? Well, the answer is everything. Everything. Jesus is worth everything. But what he calls us to is to follow him and we give him our life. It's not our life now, it's his life. Whoever will lose his life for my sake and the gospel will find it. That's the call to salvation. Verse 2, he says, and don't be conformed to this world. You find out, want to find out God's will for your life. It's not by taking the world's thinking and Christianizing it. Well, I do this, this, and this, and so now I'm good. No, it's by becoming spirit-filled. So you know the Lord Jesus Christ. You've received Christ your Savior. The Bible says God's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. It's God's will that you be saved. If you're here this morning without Christ, it's God's will that you receive him as Savior. He's not going to impose that will upon you. You have to choose to follow him. But secondly, if you're going to know God's will, you need to be filled with the Spirit. Well, what does that mean? Well, it says here in, in chapter 2, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. How is our mind renewed? By saturating our mind and our heart with the Word of God. In Ephesians chapter 5, it says, don't be foolish, but understand what the will of God is. Don't be drunk with wine where it's excess, but be filled with the Spirit. He commands us to be filled with the Spirit. That, that sounds like it's some experience that happens, but actually the parallel passage is Colossians 3.16. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. In other words, you saturate your mind, your life with the Word of God, so there's no decision that's not affected by God's Word. That's what that means. Being filled with the Spirit is allowing God's Word to saturate your life so that every time there's a decision, you say, what does God say? Not, well, I think Jesus would do this, or I think God wants this, but you have a scripture you can go to. It's a foundation for your life. A lot of people live how they feel. The Bible says where it'll be under the discipline of God, which means his word. So saturate your life with the word. So he says, don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. When you got saved, you didn't know everything. When you were born a baby, there's a growth process. You are fully human, but you are an immature human. God wants you to grow up. Paul wrote to the Corinthians and he said, you know, you're just still babies. You haven't made the hard decisions that you need to make so that you're mature. That's what maturity is. 
Over the years, I've talked to young people that have gotten saved out of a life of of drugs. And so now they're Christians, but they didn't make decisions when they were 15 and 14 and 13, they got in drugs. So now they don't have the maturity that they would have had if they'd not been on drugs making those hard decisions. They just kind of zoned out on the drugs. So now, even as a Christian, they got really big ideas about what they're going to do. Well, I'm going to set the world on fire. I'm going to become a medical doctor. Well, then you have to go to school. Well, I don't like school. Well, that's a problem. You have to go to school to become a doctor. They can't make themselves get up in the morning. Why? Because they didn't discipline themselves as young. Now they have to learn what they should have learned when they were teenagers, older, and it's harder. It's harder to learn things when you're older than it is when you're younger. But you still have to learn it. It's disciplines. God calls us to the discipline of his word. Now, the world has its thoughts, and it has his philosophies, how things ought to be done, and then there's God's. We live in a time of political correctness. If you buy into the world's thoughts, then you never bring Jesus up in polite society. Wow, because somebody is going to be offended. Well, good news, good morning. That's exactly what Jesus said he is. He's a rock of offense. But you're called to display him, to speak the truth in love. And yes, some people will be offended. But in that offense, maybe God will enter their heart, convict them, and draw them to himself. Don't be conformed to the world. The world says what you need to do is take care of yourself. So make sure you get a good job that pays this much, you get a retirement, and then things are going to be good. And Jesus said, forsake all you have and follow me. Hmm. Different thinking. The world says get all you can Can all you get and sit in the lid? Jesus said, become a hilarious giver like me. Different thinking. The different thinking comes from the word of God. So don't be conformed to the world, but be renewed, be transformed by the renew of your mind that you might find out, that you might prove what the will of God is. That which is good, acceptable, get this, perfect. God has a perfect will for your life. You see, because he saved you on purpose, for a purpose, and he gifted you for that purpose in the places that you are going to spend your life. He gifted you exactly for that. So if you're willing to go after that and just really trust God, now that's a, that's a tough thing, even as a believer, because some of you in your mind have this idea, if I just let the Lord have his way, why, there's a lot of lost people in India. I know he's going to send me to India, and I hate snakes. That's what God's going to do. He's going to make you do something. Listen, I've heard it preached. It really went over like a lead balloon. But I remember years ago, we were visiting Wheatland, and uh, they had an evangelist there, and he talked about how much he'd given up for the Lord, the pastor, not to be undone. Got up in the invitation and said, and you know, I used to make this much money working for Dr. Pepper, and I gave that up to come to this God-forsaken place. He didn't last long. We get this idea that if we really turn our lives over to the Lord, he's going to make us do something that we just hate, which will show our love for him. Like he's got little voodoo dolls up there. He sticks with pins. We wriggle and go, he says, oh, how much do they love me? I can just make them suffer. And they still, that's not our God. In the gospels, Jesus asked his disciples, if you being evil know how to love your children, how much more does God love you? And he said, if your son is hungry and he comes in and asks for some bread, you don't say, here, son, suck on this rock, do you? No. 
if, if your son is hungry and he comes in and he says, dad, you know, mom made that great fried fish last night. I see there's still a little bit left. Could I have some of that? And you say, no, son, I've been keeping a snake for you to eat. And he says, dad, could I just have an egg? And you say, no, here eat this scorpion. Jesus is using extension. He knows that we don't love our children that way. How much does God, who created you for that purpose, want you to get to that purpose? Because that's the place of purpose for you and the place of joy and ultimately the place of reward. That's what God wants to do with your life. So what is that process? How do we find out? Well, first of all, it's humble, gifted service in the church, verses 3 through 9, Romans chapter 12. Through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think. A lot of us think we're God's gift to the church, and if we could just, everybody do what we say, then, then, then everything would be just right. Just get in line with me. In fact, that's not God's plan, is it? In fact, the leaders of the church ought to be the greatest servants in the church. So they are that example of serving the body so that others could be encouraged to be like Christ. And Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. It starts with a humble attitude. Don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to think, but to think so is to have sound judgment as God has allowed each a measure of faith. And he's going to talk about giftedness, a measure of faith. So he doesn't want you to act like Uriah Heep. You ever heard of Uriah Heep? Kind of an ugly name, isn't it? Well, he's kind of an ugly guy. He's fictitious, fictitious, fictitious. And uh, he's a guy that was in Charles Dickens' book, David Copperfield. And he was always wandering around telling people, oh, I'm just so humble, I'm humble, I'm your humble servant. But he really wasn't humble. He was just a manipulator. He was evil. He was kind of a slimy character. And so God's not saying go around and act so humble you can't do anything. He just said, don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to think. Don't think lower than you ought to think and be a phony, but with sound judgment. How has God gifted you? Some of you, he has gifted to lead. Others, he has not. I know you can read the book by this guy. Every has a gift of leadership. It's just different. No, no, some people are not leaders, but they're amazing servants. They're amazing servants. What's your place? What is your spiritual gift? It's amazing how many believers I talk to and they have no idea. And that's not a problem. The problem is they don't care about finding out. But it's not a mystery, not a mystery. Follow along. He said, listen, as many members in one body, all the members do not have the same function. So we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each one of us is to exercise them accordingly. So you have to exercise your gift. If you're going to grow and find out what God's will for your life is and who you marry, where you go to school, what job do you take, where do you live? What's your job? It starts with your place in the local church. Paul wrote Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 and 12, and he said, God has gifted, given gifted men to the church to teach the church so that the church would do the work of the ministry. Now, I grew up in a church, and they just kind of figured, because that was the way things were done, you hire a professional for all that stuff. And so when I came here and began to teach this passage, we had one old faithful deacon. He's with the Lord now, Rocky Ownby. He said, man, I've never seen that before. I just figured we hired it done. And people just thought the pastor did all that stuff. And you know what? The church missed out on the joy of really plugging in where their giftedness was 
to minister where the pastor wasn't gifted because pastors aren't gifted in every area. They're not gifted any more than you are gifted for what you are called to do. So it's finding that place of giftedness. How do you do that? By employing your gift. Well, if I don't know what my gift is, how do I employ it? Begin to serve. Begin to serve. You'll find out maybe what your giftedness isn't. But as you begin to fellowship with other saints in your ministry, maybe it's helping for a quarter with Sunday school. Maybe it's just hearing the announcement that Jason's going to give here shortly about cutting wood up at the lodge. And so you say, well, I don't know if I really am trust myself with a chainsaw, but I could stack, right? And so you go, and what happens when you go? You get to know people. You have fellowship with people. Maybe you get involved in a small group. In that small group, what happens? Fellowship. And the fellowship, what happens is you begin to see what your giftedness is. Paul said, what's the purpose of that? Well, you see, Jesus had all the spiritual gifts. And when he died, he gave gifts to men. So at salvation, God gives you a set of gifts. They're unique to you. There's some pretty basic ones, and here he's not giving us every single spiritual gift. He's just making a point. You have a mix of gifts, and the church is going to be weaker if you're not functioning in your giftedness. So don't think higher than you ought to think, because not only will you see what you're doing, but others are going to see what you're doing. You say, well, problem around here is the elders just don't recognize my greatness. Well, that's part of the process. If you're called to lead, not only will it be something that you desire to do, it'll be something God's gifted you to do, and the elders will agree with that. They will affirm that with you. All three. But that place is a place of ministry, so you begin someplace, and what do you do? You focus on your gift. God has gifted you. If you have sound judgment, don't try to be something you're not. Don't try to major on your weaknesses. Just serve. Well, if I just do that, no one will notice me. Here's the deal. God's the one that saved you on purpose. He's the one that gifted you for that purpose. And he knows where you're at and what you're doing. He can get you where you need to go. So he said, if you are, have the gift of prophecy, then you prophesy according to the measure of your faith. What does that mean? Well, just simply, don't preach what you're not practicing, right? One thing for me to sit up and talk about things, but if I'm not willing to be faithful in my life, it just doesn't really communicate does it secondly uh if if you have the gift um, of serving then serve if you teach then teach if you're an exhorter you're a coach you're, you're a counselor then then do that he who gives give liberally and if you lead lead with diligence you sow mercy do it with cheerfulness serve serve in your serving god can move you where you need to go it begins with beginning to serve. Serving. What happens when you serve? Number three, verses 9 through 21. Faithful, righteous living. It's just living out your faith. You see, because being in church is a full contact sport. If you didn't know that, you'll be surprised by that. Because even though you're mature and you know everything, the rest of us don't. And we still have some rough edges that need to be knocked off. And it's not just your job to knock them off. But the problem is some people are still throwing elbows. And they still have attitudes once in a while. And guess what? You're going to get the chance to make decisions that will lead to your maturity. That's what happens. That's how we grow. Years ago, a college student said, Paul, is there ever going to be a time in my life where we get to the place, there's no more forks in the road? I said, yes, when you get to heaven. There's always going to be a decision to make. And what he's going to lay out here are just 
simple, basic decisions that all of us will make either right or wrong in our life that's going to lead to your sanctification because Paul wrote to the Thessalonians and he said, not only has God called you to be saved, it's God's will that you be spirit-filled, it's God's will that you be sanctified. This is the will of God, even your sanctification. What is that process? It's called growth, but growth and maturity comes when we make decisions. What are the decisions? Verse 9, let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil, cleave to that which is good. Paul wrote in his epistle, I mean, John wrote in 1 John, if you love the brother, no occasion of stumbling remains in you. So some of those sin habits, some of those things left in the flesh are still a problem. You have to make decisions about that. God's called you to make a decision. You got a problem with with, uh, lust? Then what did Jesus say? Deal with it. Don't ignore it. It's easy to hate other people's sins. What about your sin? You got a problem with anger? What is it? The Bible talks a lot about anger. The anger of man does not work the righteousness of God. Don't even be around an angry person. You might learn his ways. See, that's the way the world is. You want to get things done in the construction world? Be an angry man. And then all your people know they got to work really hard or you'll get angry. And all the people you do business know, oh, I'm, I better not mess with him. I better do with the contract. You know, that, that's not God's way, using anger like a bully. That's the world's way. Abhor that which is evil. Allow the Holy Spirit to point out. The psalmist said, Lord, seek me and try me. See if there be some wicked way in me. Lord, root that out. So there's no area of stumbling in my life. Abhor that which is evil. Cleave to that which is good. Verse 10, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor. There's a decision. Somebody rubs you the wrong way. What does the Bible say? Give preference to them. Honor them. Jesus said that's the way Jesus did in in, uh, Philippians. We looked at that on Easter Sunday. He said, let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. Count the other person better than yourself. That's a grace decision, isn't it? That's not natural. That's not of the flesh. That's supernatural. Verse 12, rejoice in hope. Excuse me, verse 11 not lagging behind in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. It takes a decision to get involved and serve diligently, doesn't it? Now, there are some churches set up on the deal where you come and you just be transparent. We're, we're not a church like that. We're always going to be challenging you about finding a small group, finding a place to serve. Why? Because that's the place of blessing. That's the place of reward and peace. Be diligent. That takes a decision to be diligent. I'm going to show up. I'm going to be faithful. Then he says, rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer. If you take a stand for the Lord, you're going to suffer persecution. Jesus said, they hated me, they're going to hate you. They can't get at Jesus anymore. And so it's given unto us to fill up the sufferings of Christ, to be a part of what Jesus is doing in the world. And to me, it's pretty natural. If you are standing for the Lord, you will be devoted to prayer. In Acts chapter 4, the council, religious council, had called John and Peter in. And they said, we've heard what you say, and we don't want you to say that anymore. Don't you preach about this man, Jesus. You're trying to bring his blood upon us. Well, that's what they asked for, didn't they, at the cross? His blood be upon us and upon our children, right? Now it's coming to bear. Oh, don't say that anymore. And if you do anymore, and they threaten them, and then they let them go. When we suffer persecution, we complain about it. 
The, the, the apostles didn't get some placards and put it up and start parading around in front of the temple. These guys are persecuting us. This is really bad. We should have freedom of speech. No, they didn't do that. They just went back to the church and they prayed. And what did they pray? They told God on those guys. They said, now, Lord, you take note of their threats. You, just, you, see, what they, you see what those guys said? You see their threats? Just take note of their threats. And then they said, Lord, give us more boldness. They didn't say, Lord, we don't want to suffer. They didn't say, Lord, take the opposition away. They just said, Lord, give us boldness that we might speak no matter what. Persevering in trial. That's a decision, though, isn't it? You can make a decision and just say, well, I, you know, I'm going to go along with the political correct speech and I'm just going to take it easy on my job because, you know, I could lose my job. If God tells you to speak, then speak the truth in love. Take a stand. Be diligent. Be willing to suffer and be devoted to prayer. Verse 13, contributing to the needs of the saints, practicing hospitality. That means that you're getting to know one another. For an elder, that's a requirement. To have folks into your home, to get to know them, you might minister to them. You know, as I, as I was thinking this morning about our college ministry, the way it's just been amazing growth this, this year, just so many of you coming and, and so many of you ministering. But you know what the key is? And, and our preachers that we have are doing an amazing job. But you know what? I don't think that's the key. They're getting truth when they preach. And people are coming for that. But you know what it is? It's this. It's the hospitality. So many of those are not college students anymore, but they're showing up. And they're feeding people. Hannah has a crew of people to feed every, almost every Sunday at her house. And there's a crew of college grads, seminary grads that are showing up, and they feed people there. In our techne ministry, what's the key? It's the stomach, Right? They got good food every Thursday. That's where it starts. It's, it's, it's taking care of people, being hospitable, and developing the fellowship. Why? Because people are looking for a place where they can be accepted and loved. And it starts with that ministry of hospitality. Now, it's easier, and it's kind of scary to open yourself up, open your home up. But when you do that, you get to know people. The walls come down. They see you for who you are. You get to see them, and you build relationships. And so you have to make a decision. It's just not automatic. Well, when I feel like it, I'll do it. No, here's the instruction. Look for opportunities to be an encouragement through hospitality. Well, say I'm a single person. Take them out to McDonald's. That doesn't cost a lot. Sit down and share a meal and be hospitable. 14, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. Now, there's a decision, right? Bless those that persecute. Are you kidding me? No, it's a grace decision. This is supernatural. When people persecute you, you want to get even. Not bless them. At least just leave them alone, but don't bless them. God says bless them. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. You know, somebody is hurting when, when, when a relative dies especially a child or somebody very close, especially if it's sudden, what do we do? It takes the breath out of us, and so we do nothing. And sometimes the reason we do nothing is not that we don't want to. We just don't know what to do. We think, I don't know what to say. Let me tell you something, flock. The best thing you can do is not show up with something really important to say because they're not going to hear you anyway. It's going to be like soda 
and vinegar. The best thing you can do is show up with your arms. The best thing you do is say nothing but just show up. To weep with those that weep. Maybe you've never felt that loss, but you can, you can just imagine what that be like. And so you just show up with a shoulder, with an arm, not with a lot of smart words. Oh, I just, God laid this on my heart to give you this verse today. That means nothing to anybody that's hurting. What they need is a supernatural love of God, and that can come through you if you just show up and listen. And eventually, God might motivate you to say something, but I've been through those circumstances. I learned so much that the greatest thing you do to comfort a person that's weeping is just show up and grieve with them. But you know, sometimes it's harder to rejoice with those that rejoice. Something really good happens to some. Maybe you're in the same business. In this church, we have several people in, in, in the kind of the same kind of businesses, and business by its nature is, is a comp, com, competition. And so, you know, somebody else gets to do something and doesn't come to your company, and it's like, you know. I know Chris can be angry all the time. Starbucks is across the street. Or we can just say, you know what? God is the one that blesses us. He's the one that provides. And we can just be focused on him. And so when something good happens to our brother, what, what if you're just feeling that? Because you think you deserve it and they don't. Show up and rejoice with them anyway. It'll help your attitude. Just like when he says pray for your enemies and bless your enemies, that's how God changes your heart to begin to seek after their salvation. But it takes a decision to show up and congratulate and to rejoice with those who are rejoicing. What is God doing? He is trying to wean us off our self-centeredness to be like him. Jesus didn't come to judge. He didn't come to be served. He came to seek and to save those that were lost. Be of the same mind toward one another. Don't be hot in your mind, but associate with the lower, lowly. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Don't be a know-it-all. Sometimes, you know, we just, we got to feel, nobody will know how smart I am unless I tell them. Lord, I'm just trying to give good information here. And what does the Bible say? Let another man praise you and not your own lips, a stranger and not your own mouth. Just be quiet. But Lord, if I don't do this and talk about this, then who's going to find out how great I am and give me that position? God knows where you're at. And God's not, no, he's not so concerned about the right answer. That's what we get concerned about because we're so concerned about us having the preeminence. It's not having the right answer. It's being the right person. Being like Christ, humble. It's so instructive that Jesus didn't come and break off the bruised reed or quench the smoking flax. Maybe they don't need your information right now. Maybe if you'll be patient, like James says, slow to speak, slow to wrath, right? Then maybe you'll have time when you'll have an opportunity you can give them that information and they'll love love it coming from you. Then it says, verse 17, never, never, not in some circumstances, but never pay back evil for evil to anyone. I remember a friend of mine, he's just a new believer. Um, He doesn't live here anymore. God moved him, but I remember he just he just come to the Lord, and he was still going to the bars. I don't know what he was doing, checking out if the arm of flesh would fail him, and it did. Anyway, somebody just cold-cocked him. Boom, and he was so angry. And then the next day, we're having discipleship, and we were in Romans chapter 12. 
there's got to be a parenthesis someplace because I didn't even do anything. This guy's got it coming, you know. Never take your own revenge. Never pay back evil to anyone. What do we do then? You have to say, God, you see what happened there. I'm going to let you deal with that. That's what imprecatory prayers are about in the Old Testament. You know that? Psalm 37, there's an imprecatory prayer or in, in Psalm 35. And David is saying, you know, when they were hurting, I took care of them like it was my own mom. And I grieved that I was with them. But now that I'm in trouble, the abjects gather around me like I'm the main course in a feast. And they're ripping up and tearing me. God, you break their arm. You break their face, right? You go and say, how is that a righteous prayer? What, what the psalmist is doing is say, God, this is your business here. This is your business. You take care of it. And the Bible says, when God begins to punish the righteous, the righteous are not to, re- when God begins to punish the wicked, the righteous are not to rejoice. Why? Because God has got a fire higher principle than us getting even. And that's that lost one becoming a Christian and becoming your brother in Christ. So he said, you leave that to the Lord. Never pay back evil. Respect what is right in the sight of men. If possible, so far it depends on you, be at peace with all men. And aren't you great God put that in there? Because there are some people, even some Christians that, okay, they're Christians and I love them and you love them and you're, you're a, you have the ability to respond to them when they have a need, but they got a lot of burrs. They got a lot of rough edges. God isn't, you don't have to be, you know, have that feeling like a warm puppy about every believer. You don't have to make every believer your best friend. It's not a command. He says, as far as depends upon you. He's not even talking about just believers. He's talking about unbelievers too. As far as depends upon you, get along with all men. I think the greatest illustration of that that I know of is Jonathan Edwards. David Brainerd was the missionary to the Native Americans, right? And Jonathan loved David Brainerd. He was younger than him, but he just loved his passion, loved his ministry, and one of the times, David had tuberculosis, and he gets so sick. And so his daughter, Jonathan Edwards' daughter, was taking care of, of uh, David Brainerd, and they developed a relationship, and he thought, man, this is the woman for me. So he goes to his friend Jonathan Edwards to ask for the hand of his daughter in marriage, and Jonathan Edwards said no. Why? Because he loved his daughter, and he loved David Brainerd. And David was surprised, and he said, well, is she not elect? Jonathan Edwards said this, no, she's a believer, but the grace of God can live with some that others cannot. Isn't that good? Yeah. Just because a girl's a Christian doesn't mean you should marry her. There should be more goes into that. Find out what God is saying, what kind of person, what are their focuses. And so Jonathan Edwards say, listen, she's a believer, but uh, I don't want to wreck your ministry. Some guys marry a girl and the girl becomes their whole ministry because they don't have time for anything else. You don't want to marry a girl like that. Let somebody else do that, right? There'll be, there's plenty around there. Find out God's perfect will for your life. And as far as depends upon you, get along with all men. That means what? You're going to have to give some, aren't you? In fact, sometimes you're going to think, why am I the only one given? And people are always taking advantage of me. Listen, you can't outgive the Lord. Remember that. And the Lord sees Verse 19, never take your own revenge. He comes back to that. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay. But 
If your enemy is hungry, feed him. And if he's thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Pastor Davies was here last year and really explained that to us in our college uh, Bible conference that we had. And we always think, well, we're going to do good, and that'll really burn him up, you know? No, that's what he's saying. Fire is kind of what we need, right? We need heat. We need fire to cook our food. In those days, if a neighbor went away or their fire went out, they'd have to go to their neighbor to get some coals. And he'd say, you love in such a way that if your neighbor who is your enemy comes and asks for some coals to put in his heart so he can continue to cook food and be warm, you don't just send him home with the basket on his head with a coal. You heap that thing full because you cannot give the Lord. And God is doing something far greater than just your sensitivities being injured. Love them. That's supernatural, but that's the decision. Verse 21 wraps it all up. You could wrap all these up in this. Do not be overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. That's our Savior. So well, hold it, Paul. Then what girl do I marry? Here's the good news. Psalm 37, 4. We read it this morning. Delight yourself in the Lord. He will give you the desires of your heart. Do whatever you want. <laughs> that doesn't sound Christian. No, no. If you're truly delighting yourself in the Lord, whose desires are they going to be, right? As you're making these hard decisions to love instead of giving vengeance, to make others more important than yourself, what's going to happen? You're going to be filled with the grace of God. And his desires are going to be driving you. You don't have to be panicky about where you're going to serve or what you're going to do. Maybe you finished seminary and said, nobody noticed what I do. God does. Some people get frozen by fear. They're so afraid they're not going to be able to, to, to do the will of God, so they do nothing. Jason and Gretchen, example of that. They went, they said, this is God's will. Boom, God shuts the door. Boom, slam shut. Now what do you do? Come home and pray some more. God opens another door. Listen, even right now, I don't know if this is God's will yet. We'll see when they're there, right? If God gets them there, we know it was God's will. Sometimes you try to figure things out before. There is no figuring stuff out before. We just know that God shut the door on that. The Apostle Paul said this as he talked about his own call to ministry. I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, 1 Timothy 1.12, who has strengthened me because he considered me faithful. He put me into service. What was Paul? He was back in Tar Tarsus. He'd gotten saved on the way to kill some more Christians. And then he started preaching the gospel, and then everything really heated up. And finally, he had to escape out of that city by some other Christians who led him down over the wall in a basket at night, and he went back to Tarsus. He went back home. And the Bible says this really neat statement, and then all the church had peace. Because while Paul was not a believer, the church was in tumult, and then he got saved, and it was worse. God took him home. What did God do with Paul at home? Same thing you have to do. Hardest place to live out your faith is at home. It's at home where everybody knows you and have expectations for you. And it was just how to push your buttons and put that little dig in. But when you learn how to walk in righteousness, that's laid out there, that you're a living sacrifice. Lord, I, I don't know how I'm going to do this, but I see what your word says. And so, Lord, I'm going to be obedient. I'm going to trust you here. He will put you into service. So, but I don't think that's important. No, I, no. God knows where you need to be. Be faithful and serve there. He's not going to judge you based on what you think is a great, great job. 
He's going to bless you and honor you in heaven based upon were you faithful with the giftedness and the stewardship that he put in your hands? Were you faithful? Psalm 37, 4, delight yourself in the Lord. He will give you the desires of your heart. Father, we thank you for your, your love for us. Lord, I pray that we would concentrate on what our responsibility is. Not on others or the future, but today, being faithful today, responding to the challenges, to the trials, to Christians, to unsaved people with grace. Lord, that we might grow up to the measure of the stature of Christ, that you might use us wherever you want to use us. Because Lord, one day we just want to hear, well done, faithful servant. And then we'll give you all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing together.